We want to talk about the biggest wedge of the pie, the lifestyle, the living expenses. I had been a financial planner for a number of years. I'd been a CPA uh, with a CPA practice. I'd been on Wall Street. I'd worked with hundreds and hundreds of families. I'd given a lot of speeches. And I was asked uh, to write a book, first book that, uh, I, was, that I wrote. And the book was uh, titled Master Your Money. And I thought in beginning that book, I asked my oldest daughter, who was a teenager at the time, I said, well, how would your friends define success or what does financial security or how would they, what would they say about money? And she said, to be able to have whatever you want whenever you want it. And I thought, well, that's not too different today, even though that was 30 some years ago, to be able to have whatever I want whenever I want it. In other words, there's some amount of lifestyle, there's something out there that I am aiming for on my lifestyle. I think that uh, there's three things that people look for. They look for success, they look for significance, they look for security. And in many cases, the lifestyle that I choose is the one that determines whether I feel like I'm successful, significant, or secure. I remember one time, uh, Dr. Bill Bright, he was the founder of what at that time was called Campus Crusade for Christ, now it's called Crew. And Dr. Bright knew that I worked with a lot of wealthy people, and he said, Ron, what does a million-dollar giver look like? And it didn't take me but a second to answer that question. And I said, Bill, if they look like they can give you a million, they probably can't. Because my experience was those that could give away a lot probably had chosen a lifestyle less than what they could have afforded as defined by the world. Well, it wasn't too many years after that that Tom Stanley wrote a book called The Millionaire Next Door, and basically he proved that point. He said that the millionaire next door looks like someone that you would never expect to be that to have a million. They have chosen a lifestyle that is less than what someone who had a million dollars could afford. Lifestyle is the biggest choice that we'll make in terms of our finances. How much am I going to spend to live? I had a, a client of mine who, uh, his, what he asked me to do was to hold him accountable to something that nobody else has ever done. And he said that he and his wife, uh, he, when he was a teenager, he went on a mission trip to Haiti, became so impassioned about helping the poor that when he and his wife were in med school, they determined that they would maintain the lifestyle that they had in med school before he started earning a lot of money. And so his charge to me was, help me manage my life so that I maintain this lifestyle uh, that we've, we've been living. Now, they had four daughters, and they ended up funding uh, their daughters in college education and so forth. But one of the most significant things he said to me that really marked me for life, because it is so biblical, and I said, uh, Dr. So-and-so, I said, what is maybe the one lesson that you've learned from the decision that you made to hold your lifestyle at this particular level in order to give? And he said, what I did not know, but I had to learn how to receive in order to give. And I said, well, tell me what you mean. And he said, well, I was with a patient one time, and I had my legs crossed and he looked and I had holes in my shoes. I was used to just getting my shoes resold. And he said that he was a shoe salesman and he said, would you be willing to let me buy your shoes for the rest of your life? 
Now he said, here I am a doctor. I can afford to buy shoes, if you will, but I had to learn to take that gift in order to be able to have more to give away. One of the other stories that he told me was that when there was a family event planned by his in-laws, they lived in Seattle, he lived in, they lived in Alabama, and uh, they couldn't afford to buy the plane tickets because of commitments that they had made. Uh, and he said, so here I was, again, a physician, and I had to learn to accept a gift from my in-laws in order to be able to maintain the goals and objectives that I had. What I found uh, is a couple of things that, you know, if we don't receive something like the love of God, we don't have something to give. And that was a principle that came out of that, but he, he taught me a lot when he said you have to receive in order to give. And so as I receive whatever it is that God has provided me, then I have something to give, be it finances or time or whatever it, uh, it, it may be. So lifestyle is a huge determinant of the ability uh, to have financial flexibility in all areas of your life. So how much is enough? How much is enough to demonstrate to the world's success? How much is enough to demonstrate to the world's significance? How much is enough to demonstrate to the world security? That's a huge question, and it really falls into two categories. One is the lifestyle that I choose, which drives almost every financial decision, and ultimately the leave and drive is what I have to accumulate in order to maintain that lifestyle. So that's, it's a really significant thing, and it's not something that is easily answered, and it's not something that is answered perhaps once and for all. There are many times when you might rethink or readjust I know when Judy and I left the CPA firm and moved to Atlanta, we, our lifestyle went from a country club lifestyle to a ministry, ministerial type lifestyle. That was a big adjustment to make. And then over time, as we started businesses, we've had to adjust our lifestyle to make sure that we had uh, sufficient resources to do what God had called us to do. Something that I learned and have experienced, I want to relate to you because Judy and I started our lives, we got married when we were at Indiana University. We were, I still had a year to go in college. I still had two years to go in graduate school. She had a teaching assistantship and, and worked uh, to help me get through school, and I had a teaching assistantship. And our first home was a, the, the cheapest home that you could have at married housing at Indiana University, and it was a little green trailer. And I still have a picture of that trailer. It was 28 feet long. It was uh, six feet wide and eight feet tall. Now, that's really not very much room. I jokingly say you could sit on the toilet, cook dinner, and do your ironing without moving. And literally, when she would do the ironing, I would either have to get out of the trailer because there wasn't room in the living room for the ironing board and me, or go to the back, our little bedroom. It didn't even have a double bed in it. It had a, just a larger twin bed in it. That's how we started life. And you know, there were a lot of decisions we didn't have to make. We didn't have to decide where we were going out to eat because we weren't going out to eat. We didn't have to decide what cars we were going to buy. We didn't have to decide uh, where to put investment dollars. We didn't have to decide what clothes to buy because we didn't have any choices. And looking back, when you don't have any choices, life is relatively simple because you live day to day and, and what you have. Um, well, fast forward a little bit. We've been married now 50 years. We had five children. They're all married, and uh, they collectively have 13, grand, our 13 grandchildren. 
So now I have 25 in my family and we have uh, owned more than one home on one occasion. I bought I don't know how many cars I paid for, I don't know how many college educations. I have funded an awful lot. We have made investments. The businesses that the Lord allowed me to help start have been successful. And, and all of a sudden, here I am 50 years later, and I have got so many choices that I have to make. So I started in a green trailer with very few choices, and now I have, we'll say, accomplished the American dream. But the American dream does not give you financial freedom. What it does is it gives you many, many choices that you have to make. And I call that the paradox of prosperity. The paradox of prosperity says this, the more you have doesn't give you more freedom, the more you have may give you less real freedom because now you're confronted with a multitude of choices that you've got to make. So there's, there's having whatever I want to be able to spend whatever I want whenever I want it is not necessarily the answer to security and freedom and contentment. It may be the answer to confusion and fear and uh, all in doubt and all of those things that come. The paradox of prosperity, the American dream, does not answer the question that most of us are asking, and that is, am I doing okay and am I content? Let's look for a second at uh, God's Word. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Your life should be free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know, for years, I've said, and we said this in the first session that we had, three questions. Who owns it? How much is enough? And is the next steward chosen and prepared? The how much is enough question, as I help people mathematically determine that hundreds and hundreds of times, when I read this verse for probably the hundredth time also, I realized that the answer to the question of how much is enough is what you have right now. Because it says here, be satisfied, or in other versions it says, be content with what you have. So the answer to how much is enough is what you have. Because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I always have enough. He has said that he will be there regardless of the circumstances. He has said, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this particular passage says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So what do I need? Well, I need whatever God provides. And that's the answer, is that if I believe that God owns it, then he's giving to me something as a steward, and he's given me enough. Here's where we lose the freedom. Uh, when, I, when I hold everything that I have been entrusted with with an open hand, then God is free to put in more or he's free to take out whatever he wants to take out. But when I go like this and grasp what God has given me, then what has happened is that I have taken over control, I've taken over ownership, and I have the resulting anxiety that comes with it that it will continue to be enough. But when I hold it like this and say, God, you can put in there whatever you want to put in there and you can take out whatever you want to take out because it's all yours, then I am really financially free and I have answered the question, 
how much is enough? Uh, David Jeremiah, pastor on the West Coast, he says, contentment is this. It is no regrets of the past, and we have no regrets of the past because Jesus took care of everything in the past. He has cleansed me from all sin. He's cleansed me from everything. The past is, is the past. It's, it's now in God's hands. And no envy in the present because that's what drives so much of thinking. And in James chapter 3, it says, For where envy and selfish ambition exists, all kinds of confusion and evil. So if I have no envy in the present and no regrets of the past, and then the third piece is that Dr. Jeremiah says, and no fear of the future. If I am a follower of Jesus Christ, the past is taken care of, he has given me what I need for the present, and I have no fear of the future because I know who is already in the future and who's going to be taking care of the future. Think about the freedom that comes from all of that. And as you know and as you hear, this is not about money. This is about perspective. This is about understanding. As we talked about the first uh, time that we were, were together is that if I have an eternal perspective, then I can be content because I know that the future is taken care of. And I have nothing in the present that God didn't intend for me to have. And the past is all taken care of. It's a tremendous thing. It's easy to think about. It's no regrets of the past, no envy in the present, and no fear of the future because of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. There's, there's something about contentment, however, that I think we need to take a look at. Uh, contentment do, doesn't just happen. In uh, Philippians uh, chapter 4, this is where Paul is saying, I don't say this out of need. In other words, he was talking to them about uh, some material needs that he had. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. It's a familiar passage, but it really then brings home everything that I've said about poverty and prosperity and what Dr. Jeremiah had to say. This whole process is something that I learned. Remember again, in the first time, we talked about money as a tool to test and a testimony. And money, in many cases, the material things are things that God uses in my life to teach me something. So this how much is enough and contentment are not necessarily answers that are a once and for all answer. Uh, uh, I find that I've got to go back to Scripture a lot of times just to be reminded of certain things. And I want to take a look at the book of 1 Timothy because 1 Timothy kind of gives us, if you will, the answer to the question of what is the right lifestyle for a Christian? Is it poverty or is it prosperity? What, what's the right lifestyle? Well, let's look at 1 Timothy. Let's look at God's Word and get some principles out of His Word to see if we can help answer that question. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, Now, if anyone does not provide for his own relatives or family, and especially for his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So right away, when it comes to lifestyle, it says this, I need to provide for my family. I'm com commanded to provide for my family. 
I'm commanded to take care, and it, and it says his whole household. So all of my family, maybe it's in-laws, maybe it's outlaws, maybe it's whoever, but I am commanded to provide for my family. So provision is one necessary thing that I need to think about when it comes to my lifestyle. Now, here's the challenge. What's provision? One home, two homes, one car, two hire cars, three cars, new clothes every season. This is where what comes in to bear, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So God didn't tell me that the proper lifestyle for a Christian is 38.5% of adjusted gross income, and that's after your tithe. Because had he done that, I would spend on my lifestyle 38.5%. That, that, that piece of the pie would represent 38.5%. But he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So I need all the time to be going to God and asking him the question, Lord, what is the lifestyle? Is this a right decision? You know, I think of, of uh, Pastor Robert Morris, who three times in his life, he wrote a book called The Blessed Life, three times in his married life. He's given away every, everything, walked out of his house, gave away absolutely everything. Well, he was convicted by the Lord in a time of prayer and study and meditation to do that. God doesn't call each of us to do that. But what he does call us to do, to be spending time in front of him saying, Lord, what would you have me to have, if you will? He, because he wants to drive that relationship between the two of us. He wants me to have a relationship, so he doesn't answer the question as to what is provision. I just know that I need to provide for my family, and I have to answer the question, what does provision mean? We could spend a lot of time talking about that. But let's turn the page, and let's go to uh, 1 uh, Timothy 6, verse 8, just one chapter over, and it says this, But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. So I begin to get an idea that contentment, God is uh, wanting me to have the necessities of life, and if we read Matthew 6, again, the Sermon on, on the Mount, he said he takes care of the sparrows. He takes care of the flowers. God is the one who is the provider. God is the one who gives me everything that I need whenever I need it. So we have an idea that more does not equal contentment. If I have food and clothing, with these I will be content. And when we read in Hebrews that I will be content with the things that I have. So I'm commanded to provide. I'm also admonished to be content with food and clothing. Uh, it doesn't say that you don't need more than that or that you don't have more than that. But it does say that my contentment comes back to knowing that God is in control, God is taking care of me, and He, as long as I have food and clothing, I should be at least content with that. But there's a third aspect to the lifestyle that you find in 1 Timothy. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. It doesn't say to be rich in the present world is wrong. It says instruct those who are rich in the present world not to put their hope in the wealth. Again, it does not say to not have wealth. So. God, in some cases, may let you invent something that pays millions of dollars. 
Uh, he may give you a vocation that pays a lot of money, whatever, whatever it may be. And he just says, here's the admonition. If you're rich in the present world, just don't put your hope in that because it's uncertain. And we've talked about that in, in previous sessions. But put your hope on God. And here's, here's the key point. Who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Now, you look at the universe. You look around you at nature. Is God not a God of abundance? He certainly is a God of abundance. He's a God of creativity. He's a God of majesty. He's a God of glory. And to some extent, what he's saying, that if I've given giving you these things for whatever reason, enjoy what I give you. In other words, don't feel guilty with what I've given you, and don't lord it over somebody else, but I want you to provide for your family, I want you to be content, and I want you to enjoy what I have provided for you. So what's the proper lifestyle for a Christian? Well, I can only determine that on my knees, because it's different for everybody. My neighbor's lifestyle is not the appropriate Christian lifestyle. The only appropriate Christian lifestyle is the one that God has provided for me. And I can only determine that by spending time on my knees. Now, in order to take your pie now and look at the lifestyle piece, I don't know what that wedge should look like for you. Uh, but here is something that really is important, and it is a transferable concept. And we talked about transferable concepts as something that's never going to change. And the transferable concept is this. The only way to increase the pieces of the pie, excluding your lifestyle, is what I would call delayed gratification. In other words, maybe giving up something today for future benefits, giving up something today in order to pay off my debt, giving up something today in order to increase my giving, giving some, up something today in order to put money aside for, for the future. So if I understand that the lifestyle that God has chosen for me is God's choice for me, it may be that he wants me also to build the pieces of the pie that are not in the lifestyle bigger because I'll have to give up something that the world says, you owe it to yourself. I love the, the uh, advertisements. You know, you only go around once, get all the gusto you can. You deserve a break today. Who says we deserve a break today? We deserve contentment and enjoyment and eternal security. Something that I read, and I think I read it in Randy Alcorn's book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, and I read that book some time ago, but he referenced a letter that John Steinbeck, an author, had written to Adlai Stevenson. Adlai Stevenson had been a candidate for U.S. president twice in the 50s, and at the time that the letter was written, which was November of 1959, I believe that Adlai Stevenson was ambassador to the United Nations. And John Steinbeck was bemoaning the materialism of Christmas about how children would open their presents and go on to the next one and go on to the next one. And I thought, well, things haven't changed much when you look back. That's still the way it is. But this was in 1959 and he wrote it. And it wasn't about Christmas today, what I picked up on. What I picked up on was something that he said that I think was prophetic, even though it wasn't intended to be prophetic. He said this, he said, a strange species we are. We can stand anything that nature and God can throw at us, save plenty. 
If I wanted to destroy a nation, I would give it too much, and I would have it on its knees, miserable, greedy, rich, and sick. Think about how long ago that was, 1959, a long time ago, and what has happened since that time. The world has never seen an increase in wealth like it, the United States has, has accomplished. We are the wealthiest culture to ever have lived on planet Earth. And it has not given us contentment, it has not given us peace, it has not given us freedom, it has not given us more morality. If anything, this run-up in wealth has caused anxiety and confusion and doubt and fear because the answer is never found in wealth. Now again, John Steinbeck wasn't writing that, trying to make a biblical prophecy, but boy, he sure was prophetic when he said it that many years ago. 